We're delighted to welcome you back to From the Bridge, our weekly podcast on marketing, sponsorship, sales, and great places to eat. I'm your host, Rick Jones, coming to you from Charleston, South Carolina. We've got a really interesting show today, continuing our discussion about bait, which I feel is the key to selling more sponsorships. And our guest angler is a terrific salesperson, Brad Olecki. And since Brad is from Atlanta, I'll tell you about yet another great place to eat in Atlanta with a bit of history thrown in. Bait. Last week, we shared that bait answers the why question. Why a sponsor should buy that particular sponsorship. Now, I like to call my sales process the omelet station. At every omelet station, the key absolute ingredient is the eggs. You are able to customize your omelet with just about any ingredient you can think of. It's the same thing in sponsorship. We've been talking a lot about the Atlantic Coast Conference and the new ACC network, and we've discussed various swim lanes and platforms. Those are ingredients along with a lot of other things we'll discuss today. Now, I like to switch back to our fishing analogies like we do a lot here on From the Bridge. And I like to describe the various assets we can use in the omelet station as tackle in the tackle box or bait in the bait well. So what kinds of things can be used as assets beyond platforms and swim lanes? Well, here are some examples with some sponsorships uh, that have actually made these come alive. Uh, In some cases, you buy a sponsorship because you want to link Um, audiences, and you want to link your brand to that brand with what we call image compatibility. And a great example of that is Rolex. If you think about Rolex, uh, years ago, Mark McCormick told a story where he asked the president of Rolex how the watch business was, and the guy laughed and said, I have no idea. I'm not in the watch business. I'm in the luxury business, uh, which was very, very true. And if you think about the sponsorships that Rolex uh, participates in, things like Wimbledon, Uh, Things like um, professional golf, uh, polo, show jumping, yachting races, those types of things. That's the compatibility of the image they're looking for. They're looking to reach prestigious people uh, through prestigious activities. Uh, Another um, great asset would be uh, the ability to um, link your brand to community relations uh, during the Olympic Games in 1996, I actually stole an idea that I had seen in Lillehammer in the uh, 94 Olympic Games. And what we did was we did a 500-day countdown for Hanes T-shirts. And so we had a specially designed T-shirt from day 500. So the first one was day 500. The next day was day 499, then 498. And every day at Lenox Square, a major shopping mall in Atlanta, we auctioned off that one-of-a-kind T-shirt with a celebrity auctioneer, and all of that money went to buy Olympic tickets for boys and girls clubs in Atlanta. So children that could never potentially afford to come to the Olympic Games were able to do that. And we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, through that particular Haynes Olympic T-shirt auction program. Another asset is the ability to incent retailers, brokers, your sales force, or other resellers. 
We talked earlier on this program about MasterCard's World Cup program and how they did everything to welcome the world's money to America. And the way they did that was in sending various retailers. If you think about a credit card company, they don't have a product. They just facilitate you buying other people's products. And in this case, we were able to incent uh, merchants, uh, restauranteers, um, uh, transportation companies, um, airlines, all sorts of people um, by uh, promoting that consumers could use their MasterCard card effectively during the World Cup. Another asset is obviously category exclusivity. In many cases, it's, it's in a select category or categories. And sometimes uh, sponsors uh, uh, have lots and lots of categories, but uh, properties want to narrow that down so they can go sell as many of those categories to somebody else. We earlier talked about with Bob Heisner, IBM and the Olympics, and how IBM used a variety of products and services, a wide range of categories, in order to use the Olympic Games as a case study for why your business should use similar products and services for IBM. Uh, Oftentimes, you'll buy a a sponsorship to add value to a current or prospective media schedule, primarily maybe a television schedule. And a perfect example of that is Nissan with the Heisman Trophy and their famous Heisman House advertising. Uh, And so they will do a product ad, but they'll center a product ad around a vignette with the former Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, Another great example of bait uh, is uh, creating content for creative and communications. I think nobody does that better than Red Bull. Uh, The whole Red Bull uh, gives you wings campaign, they really walk that talk by doing amazing um, and sometimes very dangerous and crazy stunts, but they do them in order to generate content that can be shared on both digital and social platforms. Um, In many cases, people will buy a sponsorship to showcase a product. Uh, We had Jim Richards on earlier, and he talked about uh, his client, Research Fine Foods, and what they do at the CMA Festival every year. Well, what they really do is sample food. Um, And if you've got great food, product sampling is a great way to promote it and give people a little sneak peek uh, or a taste of your product and incent them to go back out and buy it. And in many cases, you can take a product showcase, um, product sampling, and, you know, reinforce it with a coupon uh, that will drive back uh, them to the retailer to buy the product. Um, Certainly, people buy sponsorships for the ability to impact sales. Um, Coca-Cola buys over 600 colleges and universities, largely to get the pouring rights at those universities. So there's a direct sales opportunity by buying into the schools with vending machines and, uh, and other retail locations on the campus that would sell Coca-Cola products. In some cases, uh, you buy a sponsorship for the endorsement or the implied endorsement uh, of the property to that particular product. You certainly do that when you utilize celebrity athletes. We did a program several years ago with Cisco. They had a a brand-new portable webcam product. You may have remembered the commercial where there was a guy in in the Middle East, in the military, that was seeing his baby for the first time uh, remotely. Well, what we did was we put those units on uh, some of our top basketball coaches' uh, desks 
Um, and so they could do these vignettes on ESPN to show exactly how the product worked in real time. Uh, very, very successful. A funny story about that was our, uh, I try to spread the wealth. We were going to use six coaches, and I wanted to use coaches from six different conferences. And uh, Mike Krzyzewski had, uh, was coaching the Olympic Games at the time, and he's been a long-time coach of the Olympic Games. And, and, and Mike told me, Rick, I'm, don't ask me to do anything this year because I'm, I'm working on the Olympic Games. And so I went to our president of the NABC that year, Oliver Purnell, and, and, and got Oliver at Clemson to do it. And then Mike found out about it, and he asked my boss, Jim Haney, he said, how come Rick didn't ask me to do it? And Jim said, well, Mike, you told him not to. And he said, well, I love Cisco. I want to do it. So I had to go back and tell uh, Oliver Purnell he was out and Mike Krzyzewski was in. So it was, a, it was a funny deal. But it was a very successful program and that they actually used that portable webcam, again, in their coach's office directly back to a vignette with ESPN. Uh, certainly you will buy a sponsorship to generate a database. You're going to want to take names of those rabid fans that are exposed to your product. We run a tour for Dollar General every year in college football uh, that largely is um, driven by our ability to generate a database. And then from that database, we're able to give them weekly uh, coupons on their smartphones. Um, and so we can track exactly uh, what kind of response we had uh, from our fans. Um, another example, another I think great piece of bait in the bait well is the ability to add a charity or a cause marketing overlay to the sponsorship. Uh, Infinity is the official, uh, one of the official cars of the um, NCAA tournament, March Madness, and they have tied in with Coaches versus Cancer, and they do an interesting program uh, called the Coaches Challenge uh, where people vote on their favorite coach uh, in order to raise money for Coaches versus Cancer. Uh, it's been a very, very successful program for them, and they're able to use coaches in their advertising in order to promote the cause. Finally, the whole concept of what we call continuity, uh, the ability to extend the sponsorship or renew the sponsorship annually that builds you more value. And we've used this example previously, but Home Depot with Game Day built by the Home Depot. They're in their 22nd year. Every year they've added a different element. Uh, each year they've... Uh, added maybe a, a vendor to participate, um, and um, it's become a very, very successful program for them over the long run. Now, let me give you a, a list of some other typical ingredients in the bait well. Well, the first one is the designation. You are the official sponsor of that particular event or activity. It could be the official car, the official telecommunications company or whatever. Uh, in most cases, you get a category or categories exclusivity. You don't want to be in a position where you're competing directly with your uh, biggest rival uh, there for, this, for share voice in that particular activity. You get the rights to use the marks and logo of the property in your advertising, promotions, and other communications. When you think about an Olympic sponsorship, that's it. <laughs> you spend millions and millions of dollars strictly for the right to use those five interlocking rings and, um, and it shows how valuable those rings are about how much money people will pay uh, to affiliate with those. Uh, in many cases, you get your logo or your ID in the events, uh, programs, and media schedules. Uh, you get your ID in the events collaterals, promotional materials. You get 
advertising in the program book or special insert on their website or their Facebook page or other social pages and platforms. Uh, in many cases, you may get on-site signage. Uh, the, we recently finished the Women's World Cup, and uh, during the World Cup, you see that the most valuable thing that a sponsor has is the, the signage along the sidelines that show that they are a sponsor of the games. Um, we mentioned earlier on-site product sampling and couponing as being something that's very, very effective. Or how about the ability to exhibit or display uh, your products uh, on site, um, maybe even trial of activities or, or showing them product demonstrations. Um, you can do on site product sales in many cases when it and where it's applicable. Uh, if you're a boot sponsor of a country music festival, you might be able to sell boots directly to the fans that are there that they can pick out. Um, clearly, VIP tickets, invitation seats. Celebrity meet and greets, these all go into uh, uh, assets for sponsors. Uh, ticket allocation, discounts on additional tickets. Uh, access to mailing lists and database is another one that we've talked about. Uh, in many cases, you can put your logo or a lockup logo of your logo and their logo on merchandising, which we call uh, co-branded uh, merchandise. Um, in many cases, I like to suggest that people do a title to a proprietary event within a larger event. So an event within an event uh, that you're able to do that. And we're going to spend some time in subsequent weeks giving you some examples of that. In most cases, you're going to get PA announcements that are going to remind the fans that are attending the event that you're a sponsor. In some cases, you're going to have presentations by corporate staff and or introduction of a speaker. Uh, if you're at a seminar, I know in professional golf, usually when they give the trophy at the end of the tournament on Sunday afternoon, the CEO of the sponsoring company uh, is always a part of that, making some comments about his company uh, and relating it to golf and to the champion. Um, another great thing that you have the ability to do is to survey the audience and the attendees at each event. Um, this will give you data that you couldn't get anywhere else in a way to, uh, to utilize that for, for other activities. Um, clearly, you're going to want to have a renewal option. I always suggest that you renew at the same price, uh, build it in uh, with, a, with a length of time. And also, you want the first rights of refusal for other assets. One of my favorite stories about that was when ESPN first came out, and remember, nobody thought a 24-hour sports network would ever work. In fact, everybody told them, you're, you're nuts. Nobody's going to watch sports for 24 hours. Well, <laughs> I think they got the last laugh on that. But uh, there was a guy named Chuck Fruit who uh, was an executive that, at that time at uh, Anheuser-Busch. And Chuck kind of thought it might work enough that he put a lot of money down as the first advertiser on ESPN. But more importantly, he bought exclusivity in certain programs. And as part of his deal, he got first look at any new programs that ESPN was going to broadcast and be able to have product exclusivity in those programs going forward. Very, very famous uh, uh, contract that he did between Anheuser-Busch and ESPN. Next week, we'll continue talking about bait with a look at some additional assets.
Today's Tuesday tip is about job offerings. Here's an easy tip about what to do if you offer someone a job or are offered a job. I know I've been guilty of thinking I said one thing and actually saying something else or what I've said being interpreted differently by the other person. So what I do now is I make the job offer verbally to the person. Then ask them to sit down and write down what they think I said. I also sit down and write what I think I said. And then we trade papers and read each other's. Then we sit down and discuss any inconsistencies or misunderstandings right from the get-go. It's better to have those discussions up front and avoid any misconceptions later. And that's your Tuesday tip. My guest angler today is my good friend, Brad Olecki. Brad is the founder and president of Trenches Marketing. I just love that name because Brad was an offensive lineman in college football, and he understands the need to get down and dirty in selling sponsorships. Brad was my client at the College Football Hall of Fame while we were selling the corporate sponsorships as it was being built in Atlanta. Before that, he worked in a number of positions in college athletics. Let's welcome Brad to the bridge. Brad, how are things in Atlanta today? They're heating up, Rick. We just uh, dropped my son off at Danny Hall Baseball Camp this morning, so uh, we're having a great uh, great kickoff to the post-4th of July week. Well, that's good. Uh, you know, summer in the south, it can be a little warm. Uh, he'll be glad to get home from baseball camp and jump into a, a cold shower or into the pool, so uh, it'll be fun. Hey, Brad, I want to start today. Tell everybody a little bit about your professional journey. You've done a number of things along the way, but, uh, you know, how did it start and, and how did you end up where you are today? Well, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been a fun journey. I had the opportunity to uh, to start working in sports very early. Um, you know, my father worked in uh, janitory sanitation and industrial sales for the longest time. So when I left uh, Moorhead State, I thought that's what I was going to be doing, and I actually turned down a job as a 23 year old kid working for 3M making pretty good money in a company car to take a thousand dollar you know a month internship with the with the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl so that was kind of the kickoff and uh, fell in love with the sponsorship side I think the you know the sponsorship size allows us to work in the business world have one foot in that kind of stable business environment and the other in the the la la land of sports where we get to have fun and, you know, call going to games and whatnot work. Um, so I started doing that. And then I, I got an opportunity with a group called action sports media that, uh, you know, back before athletic directors wanted to install video boards in their stadiums. And there was a fight for who had the biggest, uh, Paul Allen owned a company that, um, installed those video boards and we maintained those rights. And it was kind of fun working for, you know, a group of that size with an entrepreneur like that, um, you know, learned a lot, everything from manu- manually turning TriVision signage in between games when things weren't digital, um, you know, and, and, and finding ways to sell limited inventory. So it was fun. It gave me an appreciation. I worked for a guy there named Bill Hodge, who was phenomenal and taught me a lot of different stuff. Yeah, Bill, Bill's such a great guy. Um, yeah, one of my favorite people. <clears throat> well, you know, one of the things I tell people all the time and my young staff here probably the most I learned on, on this uh, on the, in this industry was driving around the Southeast, visiting all these college towns, 
but staying at Fairfield Inns and sitting on the back patio and just listening to Bill tell me about the business. And that's probably where I learned, you know, the majority of things that I apply today. And it, it was a great way to learn young, um, had a great, uh, great career there, and then went off to work for Ben Sutton at ISP Sports and start the Georgia property when they first outsourced those rights. I was on the first national sales team for Ben at ISP um, before they had figured out all the the details that make it work today. And then um, a couple years in the pros with the Hawks and Thrashers, the NBA and the NHL. And then, of course, you know, where we got a chance to work together at the College Football Hall of Fame, which I think is probably the the most rewarding and challenging project I ever worked on. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Chick-fil-A and working initially on the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl and then uh, Chick-fil-A was the major sponsor and is the major sponsor of the College Football Hall of Fame. You know, I'm so impressed with their culture. Uh, and a lot of, I think, their culture has rubbed off on all of us uh, on customer service and doing it the right way and and all that. Uh, and you also mentioned, you know, listening to Bill Hodge, kind of getting your, uh, your master's degree in sports marketing, just listening to a guy like that. One of the reasons we're doing this podcast is we're trying to, persuade a lot of young people that are in sports management majors around the country to listen every week because it's a great chance to learn something that's really, really practical for them as they go forward. Maybe something they're not going to get in a curriculum um, from that standpoint. Uh, the Hall of Fame was such a great um, a, a great opportunity for me too, working with you. Let's let's talk a little bit about, about that process. And, and that, that's turned out to be such a magnificent venue in Atlanta. Yeah, well, it was like I said, it was it was the most rewarding thing I've ever had a chance to work on. I mean, how often does your your profession and your passion get to intersect? And um, with what the National Football Foundation does uh, with with their mission, with what Chick-fil-A uh, does, as you mentioned, with, you know, their overall corporate culture, uh, the vision of Gary Stoken to bring that thing to Atlanta was a unique one. Um, Atlanta didn't have anything. Uh, that that was a year-round college football uh, destination, but we had a heck of a lot of um, great, you know, great properties and games here. So it fit well, and you know, the ability to kind of start that project very early on, it, when the economy was down, um, is what made it challenging. But the team that was brought together there, I think, was was probably some of the best people I've ever had a chance to work with, and. You know, the experience still to this day is kind of benchmarked from museums and attractions. And, you know, I do a little bit of work there still with trenches. Um, the experience that allows you to customize not only the 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 fandom or, or customize to the fandom for each guest, but also allowed us to authentically integrate sponsors throughout the experience without over commercializing it and without um, you know, making it a, a, for lack of a better term, a, a NASCAR with multiple sponsors just plastered everywhere. I think every brand that we have in that space is authentically integrated into the experience and creates a great both user experience as well as delivery tool for those brands. Um, so it was, it was a fantastic opportunity for me to sell something other than <clears throat> just the you know, the signs, the spots, the dots, that kind of thing, and really focus on what we do today in trenches with solution-oriented selling and, and focusing on how does this, as you've said over the last couple of podcasts, how does, how does, how does fit work? Um, how does the brand fit into the experience? And 
how can we be an amplifier for those brands that use college football as a larger platform and, and extend that to a 363 day a year experience. They do, they do, they did allow us off two days a year. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a great experience for me. It was a great team. And I think to this day um, delivers a heck of a lot of opportunity for businesses to get engaged in college football here in Atlanta. It's a great event venue, which was something we really focused on. And it's a, you know, it's a great place for college football fans to journey to. Well, I, w- I would argue that um, Atlanta is the capital of college football. Um, you know, there's a lot of other great cities and programs that might, you know, beg to differ. But, but you know, truly, Atlanta has always been kind of the intersection, especially with the, the great bowl games that are there, national championship games that have been played there, the kickoff classic that's played there, the SEC annual football championship that's played there. Um, I was in Long Island not too long ago, and I was trying to explain to somebody what I did for a living. And I said, I, I sell sponsorships in college football. And the guy said, well, that, that, that's kind of like a religion down there in the South, isn't it? And I said, oh, no, no, it's a lot more important than that. <laughs> and so uh, it's uh, exactly. And so, you know, to bring it, for Gary to have the vision, and I, and I think he does deserve a lot of credit to have the vision to bring the College Football Hall of Fame from South Bend, Indiana, obviously, you know, a great college football town with Notre Dame, but to bring it to what I think is the, the true headquarters of college football, Atlanta, Georgia, I think was was a brilliant move. And, you know, Chick-fil-A and Gary coming together and the, the, the success that you go back to Steve Robinson and the, the partnership they created in the late 90s to take up a bowl game that was kind of, you know, mid to lower tier and turned it into now a power, you know, one of the new year six, that was the catalyst for making uh, Atlanta what it is today in the college football world, but also paving the runway for the college football hall of fame to come. Well, you, you yeah, you mentioned Steve, uh, Steve Robinson, again, one of my favorite people, he, you know, recently retired from Chick-fil-A. He's got a new book out and I'm going to try to get him on as a guest. Uh, it's a book about key learnings from his time at, uh, at, at Chick-fil-A. And one of the key learnings was he, he, he doubled down on college football. He realized that I can't outspend, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken or McDonald's or Burger King, but I can spend very strategically. And he did a, such a great, great job with that. Hey, Brad, I, I love the name of your agency. I love Trenches. I mean, that's such a great name. Talk, talk about the mentality of that name. Well, you know, I was a I was an offensive lineman in uh, you know through my life. I come from a line of offensive linemen. We are not uh, we're not built like squat corners, as you know. Um, we are. Uh, my mentality has always been that of um, you know learning to play all five line all five positions on the line. Let the quarterback and the running back be the superstars. And it's kind of the mentality that we take to uh, our clients, the properties that we represent. Um, a good friend of mine, we're, we were sitting around not too long ago, and he kind of brought that to my attention. You brought that to my attention when you were kind of, you know, advising me to, to take this leap here. And, you know, as I heard from all of those great people like you and others in my life who who become mentors, um, it was pretty obvious that the offensive lineman mentality, uh, even that, that – um, that battlefield mentality of, of not only digging in, one of the things that you always talk about is the, the grit that's needed to, to be successful in this space. Those are all attributes of, of an offensive lineman or a, you know, a guy on the front lines. So trenches to me 
is where I spent a lot of my time. It's where I learned a lot about myself. It's where I learned a lot about the business. I, I credit a lot of the things that, um, you know, that I learned in the, in the, the ways that I go about my business uh, in college at Moorhead State. Um, it's one of the things I mentioned talking about the Hall of Fame where my passion is that of a student athlete and, and, and working in this sports space. It allowed me to bring all of those things together um, and to really focus on, you know, again, just being the, being the worker, um, doing things behind the scenes and, and working to lift up others. Uh, you know, so it works well. And I'll tell you, I, I never thought it would be received as well as it has been. It's been great to hear people talk about, you know, how the, the name means something to them and how they like it and, and whatnot. So it's been great. Well, it's a get dirty kind of attitude of whatever it takes. I'm going to get it done. Uh, you know, we got to, we got to take the ball and, we got to drive it 92 yards, you know, for a touchdown here in the fourth quarter. And that that's driven by offensive linemen that say, I'm going to get it done. Um, and, you know, I like to tell people there are plenty of show horses in our business. There don't seem to be enough work horses in our business. And, uh, and, I, and I like the fact that, that you let the brand speak for itself, you know, versus you, um, you know, my daddy once said, if you have to tell somebody you're a gentleman, you're probably not. Um, <laughs> you know, you can, it's easily recognized. And I think, you know, you walk the talk with trenches. Uh, you're also in an unusual situation in that your lovely wife, Margaret Ann, also works in the business. Um, talk about that a little bit. And do y'all trade ideas? Well, one thing we have in common, Rick, uh, is that we both married up. And, uh, I um, I was fortunate enough to meet my wife because of this business. You go all the way back to when we first met back in the uh, early two, late 90s, early 2000s, and we started a group called YSPN, Young Sports Professionals Network. Um, that was just a networking group of Atlantans that uh, you know, worked in sports. And and then I moved away and we came back. We became, became good friends. Um, but she's then, since we started you know dating and got married, went to work on at Turner, uh, where she focuses on the NCAA March Madness property, uh, as well as uh, their their old PGA business. She's worked on their NBA property, as well as Major League Baseball. And for me, it's great because I have um, a, a marketing-minded individual that I can share ideas with, that I can run things by, who looks at and hears from buyers on a daily basis. Um, Turner does things pretty unique, and they're very digitally focused. And in, in this ever-evolving space that we're in, learning from her on how the digital space is utilized, um, how nimble and and flexible they are, literally changing some tune-in programming messaging on the day of the March Madness tournament while they sit in a room and watch what's working and what's not. That helps me kind of sharpen my uh, my tools and, and my skill level. Um, not to mention she's a great CFO for trenches, as you know, most, you know, most wives have to be in this business, keeping me grounded. Um, so it's been great for us to, to be able to to travel together to certain sports events and call it work, have that time together to be able to kind of share those stories and learn from each other. Uh, it just helps strengthen not only our marriage, but I think our ability to work uh, work on our industry and be successful. Well, you, you're part of a very illustrious club of the other uh, male guest anglers we've had on the show, you know, guys like Jack Birch and Rusty Reed and Mike Millay and Rick Ford. Um, and of course, your host Rick Jones. We're all part of the Over Chick Club. Uh, we way outkicked our coverage, uh, and and you too uh, did that uh, with with Margaret Ann, who's 
who's also one of my favorite people um, out there. And, uh, and you know, I, 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 we, we lost recently a great friend of mine, Christy Atkins. Um, and, 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 you know, what I love about Margaret Ann, too, and what I loved about Christy is, you know, women that have really made a mark in this industry that's been largely male-dominated and, and they've stepped in and, and, and have, you know, created a tremendous legacy. And I, I think your wife is such a great role model for other young women. And I think the other thing is y'all's marriage is great as a role model for how business and marriage uh, should intersect in a, in a meaningful way. So you, you're both to be congratulated for that. But more importantly, you, you got the two little boys, uh, and that's that's your greatest attribute, I think, is, uh, is your family and all that. So let's close today with this question. What else are you working on that has you really, really excited? Well, as you know, we, you know, we constantly look for trends and things that um, I think brands can take advantage of but may not be taking advantage of to its full capacity and you know you know you, you and I are working on this now I think it's probably the one thing I'm most excited about that's our our Friday night rights platform um, the ability to, to look at high school sports uh, high school programs to identify brands that can can take advantage of working on that main street you know working with that main street mentality I think there's not a a chance right now for brands to truly scale um, across the high school space. I mean, there's 19,500 schools, and I've had the chance to work closely with the NFHS and the NFHS network uh, and several different individual properties in the space. And as you know, the ability and what we're working on to aggregate those different um, service providers, to aggregate those properties into one entity that allows brands to, to take advantage of and to reach not only the the high school sports families, mom and dad who are spending money, but also the student athletes or the students themselves who are not only current decision makers in their own right, but are future influencers and future uh, decision makers, uh, brand advocates as they grow and continue to, you know, to, to, to follow their path. And um, bringing these assets together, like you mentioned, Rick Ford and what he's doing with the Great American Rivalry Series and, and the National uh, Federation of High School Sports, and the NFHS Network, and with what David Rudolph is doing um, here, streaming 95% of live high school sports across, the, uh, across the, the country, and what we've been able to do with the Naismith Awards and their High School Player of the Year. There's a lot of great assets that have been individual for so long. Friday Night Rights brings those together allows us to create a pretty strong platform for brands to take advantage of. And as I mentioned, reach multiple facets of the family. And I think it's it's a contextual marketing, which I think is so important. High school sports is not just about being a fan. You know, you're a fan of college sports and we know how how deep that fandom runs across the college landscape or even, you know, the NFL, et cetera. But when you're talking about high school sports, you're talking about the day in, day out life and activity of these families both students and parents, and it's it's Main Street marketing. It's it's getting into rural America where values still matter, as you and I talk about so much, um, and and being able to 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 not only leverage that, but to to be on the back of it and to focus on how we can can get those brands engaged. I think it's a very important uh, and very important part. Well, I also I'm a big fan of high school sports because of the life lessons that that you know, students learn, you know, high school sports or a marching band or even, you know, things like plays and debate teams and those kinds of things. 
Because what happens in our education system, you know, if you watch a three-year-old, you know, a bunch of three-year-olds, they'll play together in the backyard like crazy. They'll make things up. They'll invent things. They'll lead. They'll follow. And then they go off to kindergarten and a terrible thing happens. The teacher says, Susie, we play by ourselves here. Do your own work. (laughs) And so, you know, through elementary school, high school, college, postgraduate, it's do your own work. Then you go out in the, in the work, workforce, and the first thing your new boss says is, you know, we play together here, don't you? <laughs> well, if you hadn't played on a high school team, you may not know how to play together. And, and I think, you know, brands being able to be a part of that process of young people learning to do something bigger than their, their, themselves individually, I think it's very compelling right now. Uh, and if I'm a brand, I would be saying, how do I get uh, more engaged in the high school marketplace? Because uh, there's a lot of them, and they're going to be consumers for a long, long, long time. Absolutely. It's, you know, one of the things that we talk about is how different they consume things than we do. But you're right. Working as a team, those attributes that they're learning will continue, but we still need to reach them in a unique way. And I think by, by bringing all those different types of assets that are purpose-driven, that are activation, that are digital, that have media, um, that, that can be regional in nature, that the, all bringing all of those things together give brands an opportunity and, and options on how to reach them and to speak to them. That's uh, you know, one of the groups we're working on is, is Blue Chip and their event Swagger. The, you know, high school sports is not, you know, people talk about recruiting, both recruiting as student athletes and recruiting as, you know, military, for example. One of the things that we're working on um, with this Friday Night Rights platform is this group Blue Chip, and, and uh, I mentioned to you the the swag events that they do, where they actually you're using the devices in these kids' hands. You know, back in the day we didn't have cell phones that you could take to school, but now it's a vital part of their everyday learning experience. So by creating an event where we take over their their PE platform, we're not just reaching student athletes that you would reach through a partnership on the field. We're reaching students in general by taking over that entire PE class. Uh, and then also extending and, and creating a continuity and a conversation with them by having that mobile integration that is obviously such a vital part of their life on how they engage with their friends and whatnot. And, you know, taking advantage of that, but not relying on that solely because, as we've talked about, we want them to disconnect from those devices and sometimes, too, and engage with each other and all of those things that, you know, make what we do fun, uh, getting to know people and working close with them. Well, we've talked a lot today on our show about bait and about the different lures you have in your tackle box. And, and you know, clearly uh, you've got a lot of great uh, assets assembled in this Friday Night Rights uh, platform. So terrific stuff today, Brad. Thanks uh, again for joining us today from the bridge. My pleasure, Rick. Thanks for all you do. Now let's travel on the road with Rick. As many of you know, I'm an Atlanta boy. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta and my grandfather actually drove first a streetcar and then a trolley and then a bus throughout the city. And I often got to ride with him as a small boy uh, on his bus routes. Uh, I guess it was a built-in babysitter. Um, Here's a quick aside. My grandmother was a working woman way, way back in that era. She worked at Baker's Shoe Stores. And so anytime that I got on the bus with my granddaddy, she packed me a picnic lunch 
in a shoebox. And I think I was a teenager before I realized you actually had things called picnic baskets. I thought all picnics came in shoeboxes. She'd pack me a cold biscuit and a sandwich and, uh, uh, you know, a, a dessert of some sort and some chips or something. And, uh, and my grandfather and I, we would always stop and I would get a new grape soda. I'm dating myself now. People don't even remember what uh, new grape soda was. But um, during that era, it was, a, it was a great soft drink. Now, in riding the bus, uh, we would often go through a place called Cabbage Town. And Cabbage Town is a really interesting place with an interesting history. Cabbage Town was a tiny little community near downtown Atlanta. And it was very near the Sweet Auburn community. And for those that know Atlanta, the Sweet Auburn community on Auburn Avenue was the epicenter of the African-American experience in Atlanta in that era. And so that's where Dr. King preached at Ebenezer Baptist Church. It's actually where the, the King Center and his grave is today on Sweet Auburn. But Cabbage Town, which is only blocks away from the, the most acclaimed African-American neighborhood was not black at all. In fact, it was poor whites from Appalachia. And they were there to do two things. Number one, they were there to work in a cotton mill in Cabbage Town. Or secondly, they were there to work across the street in the Oakland Cemetery. And so they were either working in the cotton mill or they were working in the cemetery. Well, today... I'm getting to the point of On the Road to the Rick, is one of my very favorite restaurants in Atlanta. It's located right in the heart of Cabbage Town, and it's called Agave. It is a restaurant with amazing Mexican food. They have wonderful guacamole and salsa, and they have great entrees, but my absolute favorite thing to eat there is the pasoli soup. And pasoli soup is a fabulous dish. It's made with pork, and spices, and hominy. And for those grits eaters, this is the whole kernel of hominy that's in there. I get it every single time I go to Agave, and I think you should too next time you're on the road. So that's it for today. If you like the show, please share with others in the sponsorship space so that they might enjoy it too. We'll wave at you at the same time next week from the bridge. This has been your captain, Rick Jones, from the bridge. If you like what you hear, please share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. Troubles be